Well, good morning. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, this was definitely not how I expected my first preaching opportunity at New Life Church to go. Wasn't really expecting to be preaching to a camera in an empty room in the days leading up to Christmas. But here we are. <laughs> I am so looking forward to the time when I can actually meet so many of you and make actual connections with this congregation that hired me to be a pastor. Um, it is just a really strange time to, to be doing anything, but ministry definitely has its own special elements of weirdness. This morning, though, I have the opportunity to finish the Extreme Christmas Makeover series. Um, throughout the series, we've been focusing on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Today, we're going to focus in um, on four of the verses in that section, verse 16, verses 18 and 19, and verse 20. I think these verses kind of form the, the so what of this whole passage, right? So week one, Rusty showed us how this passage explains that we are new creations because of what Christ has done. We're not just, you know, a little bit different. We're not just slightly better. We are made totally new by the work of Christ. And then last week he continued by, by looking into the fact that it's more than just us being made new. The gospel is about a total renewal of all things. The whole earth being made new, being refined, being brought back to the state of perfection that it had before we sinned and ruined the whole thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Just because I'm saying that the verses I'm covering are kind of the so what verses of this passage. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think that those last sermons had really good practical application. I think good theology always shapes good practice. I think that knowing that we are totally new and knowing that all things are, are meant to be made totally new um, are huge and absolutely shape how we live our lives. But, but Paul had some very practical statements that he made in these verses, which I think should be seen as a response to the truth that we've looked at in the first two weeks. This really is a fitting sermon for this Sunday. We have Christmas behind us, and we're looking forward to New Year's, right? Christmas, the time where we, we celebrate gifts, and we look back in the sermon on the gift of being made new and the gift of the hope of all things being made new. But we also sit on this Sunday, and we look forward to New Year's, this time of, of resolutions, this time of people resolving to make themselves better in some way. And I think that the greatest resolution that we can possibly set for ourselves is to live out the title that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So like I said, we're going to be focusing on four verses in this passage. And I think in these verses we see three new things that come in addition to being totally new creations. And that starts in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16 where Paul writes, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We see in verse 16 that we are given a new mind. I think the big word to focus in on as we transition into this passage is the word so. You know, whenever you see so or therefore in text, it's a really good idea to kind of look back and go back a few verses, see what argument or what idea the writer might be continuing. And so if we look back, Starting from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, we read, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So what Paul is saying is that we respond this way because Christ died for us. And because Christ died for us, we should no longer live for ourselves. So, so he gives us this idea, right? What, is living ourselves look, what does living for ourselves look like? Well, it looks like seeing things from a worldly point of view. Or if you want to translate that sentence a little, little more literally, you would get this idea of, of viewing things according to the flesh, right? The flesh throughout the Bible is this idea of our sin nature, our, our natural bend towards doing um, what is wrong, what is against God. And the biggest example that Paul gives about how our worldly view is changed is in the way that we viewed Jesus. I think the best way to look at that is to see what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, another letter written to the same church. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, where Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I think Paul is pretty clear here. If you're viewing Jesus from a human point of view, you would never choose to follow him. If you continue to view Christ through worldly wisdom, you would think it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And I think the Christmas story is such a beautiful example of this. Let's think, right? Uh, God being born as a human baby. Yeah, yeah, from a human perspective, that's kind of a little messed up, right? That's strange. I mean, we can take that imagery even further. God being pushed out of a human woman's birth canal. A little graphic, but, I mean, again, it makes the point. This is really weird. Uh, unless it's true, this is insane that anyone would believe this. I think the most profound thing I've heard this entire Christmas season was in a podcast I was listening to. And one of the, one of the guests made a point that the baby that Mary was holding, and right, I know we've had uh, quite a few births recently in our church, you know, for those new parents, you know, look at this baby. Now imagine Mary holding this baby and that baby still being the one who was upholding the entire universe, who was sustaining his own mother's existence as this tiny little human child. This is insane. Come on, if this story isn't true, it's absolutely insane to believe it. And it takes a total renewal of our minds to be able to do that. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 2, a really well-known passage, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we've had a renewal of mind. We now, because of the death of Christ, because of our our putting our faith in him and being made into new creations, we don't have to view things the same way that we used to. And, And the only reason we were able to have that transformation is that we stopped viewing Jesus in a human way. But we now have the responsibility 
of having this renewal of our minds affect how we view others in the same way that it affected how we view Jesus. I think the best example of this, um, this new mind we see in 1 Samuel. This prophet is given the responsibility of anointing Israel's king after Saul failed. So a new king must be anointed. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, sure that the Lord will, will reveal the person that will be anointed there and then. And God's words to Samuel are absolutely perfect for this situation. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, we have this incredible tendency to, to just see what our eyes can see, to not look deeper. And it's like God is saying here to Samuel, you know, you can, you can only see a, a tiny portion, but I see it all, Samuel. You, you may be looking for this tall, strong-looking king, but, but you can't see what I see. So let's, let's make this very practical. How do we go about no longer viewing people from a worldly point of view, from our flesh, from our sinful nature? You know, I think many of you probably have kind of the same life story as I do to a certain extent, right? Um, raised by Christian parents, being saved quite early in life, never really experiencing life before Christ, or at least not having the freedom to, to go about, you know, living in ridiculous, unrepentant sin that is visible to everyone. Um, and so for people like me, I'm, I'm sure many of you, it can be so easy to see people trapped in, in some sort of sin and just think that they are beyond health, help. Maybe even subconsciously. We might not, you know, actually bring that thought to the surface and, and voice that to others that we think someone is beyond saving. But in the way that we approach them and the way that we choose to, to live our lives to maybe present or not present the gospel to that person, we live like that's true, that, that they're beyond saving. But the truth is, the very humbling truth is, that without the Lord's grace in our lives, every one of us would be just like the people that we might subconsciously write off, completely lost in sin, pursuing only what we want, ignoring the Lord's will, and being on a, on a track to hell, to not spending eternity with our Lord. So how do we approach these people, right? How do we get past seeing things from a worldly point of view? I think... The key is, is fighting prejudice and realizing that in any moment, the Lord could turns and turn anyone's life completely around. I'm sure, like I said, there are some who have the same story as me in this church, but there are also probably who have the opposite story, that they were lost in some pretty severe habitual sin, that they were living their own way, and the Lord, like that, completely turned their life around because any addiction, any sin, any family issue, God can take in an instant and change and redeem and turn good. No one is beyond the grace of God. That's what it means to not see things from a worldly point of view, to realize that the Lord's grace is infinite, that anyone can turn. Anyone is capable of being totally made new, becoming a new creation because of the work of Christ. So we have the responsibility to view people like Christ did to ignore cultural perceptions, to, to just proclaim the gospel as much as we possibly can to as many people as we possibly can, that many would come to know him. 
you know, the Christmas story once again just illustrates uh, this point so well. In Luke chapter 2, we read about the people who Jesus chose to be the ones who would proclaim his birth. Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Shepherds in Jewish culture, and I'm sure many of you have heard this in, in multiple Christmas sermons, um, they were kind of the outcasts. They were seen as unclean. They were out in the fields caring for sheep all the time. They didn't really get to be a part of, of normal Jewish life. Yet they were the ones that Jesus chose to be there at his birth, to be the ones to have this glorious experience of angels crying out about his birth so that they would go and experience it. And then Jesus continued to minister to these type of people for his entire earthly life. I mean, one of his disciples, Matthew, you know, the, the one who wrote the book of Matthew, a pretty important guy, he was a tax collector. To the Jewish people, tax collectors were seen as traitors. They were helping the Romans crush their own people with taxes. They were rejected. They were hated. And yet Christ called Matthew to be one of his 12 closest followers. John chapter 4 we see Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman, an adulterous Samaritan woman. To the religious teachers of the day, that would have been seen as completely outlandish, that this, this teacher would speak to a, a Samaritan, these people seen as kind of off-breed Jews. They, they weren't the same. They were, they were half-breeds. And then a woman, which in that culture, women were seen as less. And finally, she was adulterous. She had had multiple husbands, and the man that she was living with at that point wasn't her husband. Yet Jesus spoke to her. He absolutely called her to leave her life of sin, but he offered her salvation. He wasn't condemning her. He was there to show her grace. Uh, to me, one of the, the examples of this that sticks out the most is, is Jesus' interactions with lepers. These people who most likely by no fault of their own had this skin disease. They, they caught this disease and it meant that they would be seen as, as total outcasts. They couldn't be in the city because it was highly infectious. They weren't allowed to be near anyone. Um, their lives were over, essentially. They were just going to live it out outside the city with this disease and Jesus' interaction with them was not to stay at arm's length, right? He wasn't scared of this infectious disease. He would go, he would touch them, and he would heal them. Jesus didn't care how people were viewed from a worldly point of view. He simply cared for people. He didn't care how others would see the way that he chose to interact with those maybe seen as, as outcasts or as different he just went and shared the truth of the gospel, the truth of his coming kingdom with them. You know, I think it can be really easy then to say, oh, well, you know, that was Jesus. Jesus was able to do this because he was God in human flesh. Of course, he had the power to kind of overcome these cultural things, to overcome 
pride in order to, to step down and do this. But again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul kind of destroys that argument because he just straight up says, but we have the mind of Christ. So as those who have been made new creations, our new mind is that of our Lord, the, the mind of the man who was able to just say that he did not care about how people perceived those who he would go to. This means that we have to approach life in the exact same way that Jesus did, proclaiming the gospel with no reservation, no hesitation to absolutely anyone we can, believing that they may turn to him. And why? Well, that's because we have a new job. And, and Paul breaks that down in verses 18 and 19 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He writes, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He starts by saying all this, right? All of the, all of the new, the, the new creation of ourselves, the coming new creation of the world. All of this is a gift from God, a beautiful gift solely given by him, not earned by any effort of ours, right? Not that we can contribute in any way. It's a gift from God, totally from God. And because we are the ones who have been reconciled, we have the ministry of spreading the news of this gift to others, of spreading the news of reconciliation with God to other people. New Life's mission statement, it, it just perfectly wraps up what this is saying. I, I had to memorize this uh, for being on staff, so we'll see how well I can do here. You'll see if I glance at my notes or not. New Life Church, church seeks to make, I'm going to have to glance, disciples who experience new life in Christ express new life to one another and extend new life in Jesus to those who don't know God yet. That was pretty close, um, but it's the three E's, the three kind of big parts of this mission statement. First of all, to experience what new life in Christ is like. You know, if, if there are people listening to this today who haven't yet, and I'm sure that there are, we pray that that would be your story today. That as you reflect on the end of this Christmas season, the beautiful truth that God would send his son in the flesh to die for your sin, that you would put your faith in him, that you would give your life to him as Lord and Savior, and you'd experience new life in Jesus. For those of us who are part of this church, then we have this call in this mission statement to express that new life to one another, right? So that looks like community and fellowship. And while that looks a little different because of a global pandemic, Phone calls, praying for one another, interacting with your small groups in the ways that you still can in order to live out this new life as a community. And finally, to extend that new life to those who do not yet know God. You know, this is the ministry of reconciliation that we have been given. To, as reconciled people, live it out to go and extend it to other people, to show them the way of reconciliation that comes through the blood of Christ. What's beautiful is that, that Paul grounds this new job in the truth of the gospel. We have been reconciled by the, by, by the blood of Christ. We no longer have our sins held against us. We have been, been justified, sanctified, called to follow Christ with our lives. 
So now our job is to go and extend this reconciliation, to, to pray, to teach, to implore, to beg people to be reconciled to God, to their creator who loves them and sent his son to die to pay the penalty for their sin. I mean, let's go back and look at the shepherds again, right? So these cultural outcasts were called to experience the birth of Christ. And then as the story continues in Luke chapter two, we read, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So just how the shepherds responded to the birth of Christ, right? It was proclaimed to them and they went and experienced the truth of it themselves. And then they went out and proclaimed it to everyone. This is the same responsibility that we now carry as ministers of reconciliation. We are witnesses of the grace of God. We who have put our faith in Christ have been called to experience what his blood has bought for us. Incredible promises of forgiveness, of salvation, of being made holy by God. Now, as those who have experienced this, we have the incredible privilege of going to tell others. And all of this, as Paul lands, is because we have a new title. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we are ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is one who goes to live somewhere else to represent their leader, and in our case, our King Jesus. Right? Because the truth is that, that Canada is not actually our home. And in First Peter chapter 2, Peter calls us strangers and exiles in the place that we are. We are ultimately citizens of heaven once we have been saved, sent to be ambassadors of Christ in Stonewall, Stony Mountain, Balmoral, Warren, some random house in the middle of nowhere or in Winnipeg, right? In Canada, we are now the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have any of you ever wondered why it is that, you know, when we've put our faith in Christ, we aren't just kind of zapped up into heaven? Because I'll be honest, I've thought about this. I mean, especially in 2020, right, we've experienced... Um, a year with a lot of a lot of disappointment, a lot of things that we've lost. Now we're going into a Christmas season where um, we won't really be able to see our families. Um, it, it's it's sad and it's different. And so, you know, for me, one of my thoughts is, well, Lord, you know, if I've put my faith in you. I'd love to just, you know, go be up in heaven. Earth kind of sucks. It's kind of broken. We've kind of screwed this place up. But we have to trust that God is good. <laughs> and so there's a reason for him not just beaming us into heaven. And, and I think the clear answer to this is that uh, if you're not dead, it means that God still has work for you to do. 
And, and it's not your own work, right? Ambassadors, you know, they don't go into another country to go and exert their own will, to go and, you know, build up their own, their own fortunes, to try to accumulate things for themselves. They have one goal, and that goal is to represent their king well. I think beyond just giving us a reason for, for wanting to live on the earth as ambassadors of Christ, this also really puts death in a beautiful, beautiful perspective. You know, God brings us home when his work for us is done. I think Paul once again says this so well in Acts chapter 20. He's giving um, his testimony and, and he, he says, and, and these verses to me or this verse is um, something that I would definitely want to see as a life verse for myself. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the tasks the Lord Jesus has given me. And listen closely, because his task is exactly the same as ours, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is proper ambassadorship. This is what it means to be a faithful ambassador of Christ, to be single-minded, right? To first know the will of God. And church, I pray that we would be a church that does, right? And you don't just get that by vaguely calling yourself a Christian and showing up to church on Sundays. This means being in the word, coming to know the will of God by reading his revealed will, inspired by his spirit through human authors for us to know. But more than to know the will, proper ambassadors, faithful ambassadors, do the will of God. Do the will knowing that it is the only task that matters in the end, is to be a good ambassador. This is the call of new creations, to use our new minds to do our new jobs and to live up to our new titles. So church, what could we accomplish if we made this our New Year's resolution, both as individuals and as a congregation of new life, right? To make it our resolution to be faithful, effective ambassadors of Christ. And I think I do need to make one thing clear. This is not about human striving, right? No amount of work that we do ultimately will be successful without God being in it, without God doing the work through us. So this is about prayerful obedience to what God has called us to. It, it's his work that we are merely vessels for. God doesn't need us, right? He could use different people to proclaim the gospel, or he could just, you know, send an angel to tell people. It, he doesn't need human beings, but he's given us the privilege of being a part of what he is doing. And crazily enough, as he does the work through us, he then offers us heavenly rewards for the work that he's doing through us. So it is a beautiful privilege. It, it, it's absolutely incredible that God would let us in on this process. So this is an amazing goal to strive for even though it's not about our own effort, to be good ambassadors of Christ. I think the best way that I can possibly close today is with Paul's own words as he concludes this thought. Um, finishing 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we then have a chapter break, um, which don't exist in the original languages, so don't always trust the placement of those. Because Paul writes as he finishes, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Not to receive God's grace in vain. Not to be one who has experienced reconciliation, but to ignore the ministry of reconciliation, proclaiming the message of reconciliation. So church, let us not be a people who have received God's grace in vain. Let's live out our new title. Let's not get so caught up in, in the busyness of this world and, you know, these little temporary jobs we have, however important they may feel, let's not get so caught up in those that, that we miss our primary job of being an ambassador. Let's get our priorities straight. Let us be a church absolutely full of ambassadors who use their new minds to do new jobs. And in 2021, let's extend new life to those who have not yet met our Savior. Let's pray together. And Father, this, this truly is a beautiful privilege. First, it's a privilege that we are even able to experience this new life, that you have made those who put their faith in Christ totally new creations. All the old is gone. Your new has come. And now as your new creations, we get to proclaim that message to others. Father, I pray that we would have boldness in doing that, that as we move forward into 2021, we would desire nothing more than to proclaim the gospel faithfully, whether that's as pastors in this church or as a worker at Tim Hortons or working a desk job somewhere in the city or as parents of small children or grandparents of grandkids. Father, let us be faithful ambassadors of your son here in the places in which you have placed us. Father, for your glory, we want to see more people come to know you. Amen.